My name is Becky, and I'm a producer at Macmillan Podcasts. I'm here with a really special treat, just for I love you, but I hate your politics listeners. Jeannie Safer, the host of this show, has a new book out, also titled I Love You, But I Hate Your Politics. Not only did Jeannie write this book, she also read her own audiobook. So coming up, you'll hear an excerpt of that audio. If you're interested in learning more about Jeannie's new book, or to download her new audiobook, you can visit bit.ly slash Jeannie Safer audiobook. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash J-E-A-N-N-E-S-A-F-E-R audiobook, all lowercase. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this clip. Many of the people you will meet in these pages are embroiled in fights with their nearest and dearest that they never can win. In other aspects of their lives, they are considerate, caring, and intelligent. But when their political hackles are raised, they become obsessed, unreachable, even unhinged. Often one partner attacks the other who is trying to keep the peace or avoid the onslaught, and the dispute becomes less about a particular ideological position than about the unbearable fact that an immutable, fundamental difference exists between two people who love each other. Below are some surefire techniques for guaranteeing the worst possible outcome to such a confrontation, all of which the intimate political combatants I spoke with and describe in this chapter and the next have actually employed. Do not imagine that any one of them will work any better for you than it did for them. You will not succeed where they failed. Do not try these at home. Thrust unsolicited partisan articles into your spouse's hands at the breakfast table or deliver them daily to his or her inbox. Then conduct an interrogation about the contents, which will certainly convince the other person to embrace your point of view. Email a PowerPoint presentation entitled Re-Education to your best friend, who supports neither side. This will show her the error of her ways and earn you her gratitude for helping her see the light. If your boyfriend makes what you consider a racially insensitive comment, give him a lecture on the history of slavery in America. Shove him into a seat to make sure he pays attention. If a minor difference of opinion in a political spat, so trivial that the two of you still vote for the same candidate, enrages your partner so much that he breaks your marble table, Follow him out of the room and smash his cell phone into smithereens in revenge. This is most persuasive when each of you has had at least one drink. Passionate political disputes can wreak havoc with even the best marriages and other committed relationships. Couples who have lived together harmoniously for decades and who agree on practically everything else, including those who voted for different candidates in past elections, suddenly feel threatened to the core as never before as though some awful truth about their mate that irreparably violates their trust has been exposed. They feel stuck in an interminable battle to change the other person's mind, a campaign that has no beginning, no end, and from which they cannot extricate themselves. Most of the time, they can't even remember what they were fighting about the day before, because it's always numbingly the same. These days, Political infidelity evokes emotions just as intense and devastating as the old-fashioned kind used to do. 
the liberal turncoat. Sandy Kaplan, a 67-year-old lifelong liberal who had a long career as a federal law enforcement officer, still cannot accept that Dan, her husband of 29 years, voted for Trump instead of Hillary in 2016. Until then, he had always been as progressive as she, and a sincere feminist. I think it's time for a woman president, he'd said more than once, and meant it. But some successful business dealings he'd had with Trump convinced him that Trump gets things done, and he became a fervent supporter of the Republican candidate. It was unbearable. I couldn't respect his position. We'd always had the same politics. When I found out how he voted, I wanted to kill him. And I had the means, she said, only half-jokingly referring to the fact that she packed heat professionally. Suddenly there was nothing we agreed on, as though this one vote of his canceled out everything else they still had in common. For her, being out of sync politically seemed to undermine what she admired about his character. Even though she appreciated his pride when she provided security for the Women's March in Washington, I admire everything she does, he told me. She couldn't forgive him. Sandy tirelessly, combatively labored to change Dan's mind back, despite his total stonewalling of her efforts and the serious escalation of tension between them that ensued. Eventually, they decided to avoid the topic. But, she admitted, I violated the agreement. So shocked, desperate, and outraged was she that she almost lost her formidable sense of humor. The bruising fights continued long after the election, each one instigated by her. I finally said we shouldn't have any more political discussions at all, she said. But he adhered, and I didn't. Why didn't she take her own advice? I feel vindicated every time Trump commits some new outrage, and I always point it out to him. It's the only time I feel good. For a momentary gratification, Sandy risks endangering the bond that sustains her, the bulwark of her life. She is violating one of the prime directives for mixed political couples, no gloating. It never changes anybody's opinions, but it's a foolproof alienator. She fans the flames every time she sticks it to him, which is basically daily. A more volatile or combative husband would never tolerate her provocations or would retaliate. This is a situation where, because of their temperamental differences, rational, mutual political discussion cannot happen. She desperately needs another outlet for her wrath if she wants to do her part to preserve this otherwise excellent marriage. In Sandy's mind, even Dan's spotless feminist credentials are now suspect, forever besmirched by his enthusiasm for a man she abhors. Although the reason for his vote, as was the case for many people, came from convictions about policy, not character. This was too much cognitive dissonance for her to tolerate. It was impossible for her to accept that her husband's personal work experience with his candidate had changed something, but certainly not everything. The disillusionment was totally one-sided. Dan makes no attempt to force his ideas down his wife's throat and feels fine for her to vote and to think as she pleases. Only she cannot bear the change. Sandy had come up with a novel method of coping with her profound disillusionment. She convinced herself that she had actually succeeded in changing Dan's mind back to being in lockstep with hers. She based this on the fact that he stopped contradicting her and avoided political discussions. 
harangues by her, assiduously. She only found out that he hadn't budged an iota when he told her about his interview with me. To her credit, she found this amusing and felt abashed. Sandy has noticed that Dan doesn't defend Trump anymore, but she hasn't figured out that he's doing it tactically to keep the peace, not because he's had a change of heart. She still cuts articles out of the paper and thrusts them across the breakfast table. Every morning I'm criticized, he said with resignation. What do you do when she hands you an article, I wondered. Nothing, he said. I draw a blank, because then there's no argument. I found that if you don't say anything back, mostly she drops it. Ultimately, it is his more placid, forgiving, avoidant temperament that keeps the peace between them. Thanks for listening to this clip, provided to you by Macmillan Audio. To hear more, look for this title on our website, bit.ly slash genie safer audiobook, or wherever audiobooks are sold. Thanks. Thanks.